We are the family of God. Striving to be with We are people of more. Ready to receive our King. Let's sing. Oh, oh, Christ our Lord. We are people of more. today. I believe that someone sent you all a notification on your phone this morning and told you that it was Mother's Day. (laughs) It's it's a shock to see this many people here on Father's Day. (laughs) Brother Voice, I think think times are changing. I I think folks might care about Father's Day. Yeah, yeah. I just need yeah, it's more than a tie. <laughs> and some socks and underwear. Alright. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's a blessing to be here um before you all on this morning. Uh as we continue with our sermon series. Um this sermon series, the purpose of it was to explain Christianity in a way that is so plain you would have to close your eyes to miss it. Um Christianity has taken some attacks um, in our country and in this time, and I'm not okay with that. And, and, and we as Christians shouldn't be okay with that because it is the only thing that can save us. There are many different avenues in which people believe salvation can come through and, and through which the answers to life reside in, but I believe truly that God, the God of the Bible, Yahweh God, is the only God. I believe that Jesus is the answer to the problem of sin. And so we've taken our time 
and, and, and going through these as if we were in a classroom setting. And, and what, what, I've, what I've aimed to do is, is to make it so plain that you can't miss it. So we started off with sin. And, and we talked about sin, and we talked about the problem of sin. And, we, and, I, and, I, and I took you back to the Garden of Eden. Do you all remember that? And we went back to the Garden of Eden, and we examined the first two created human beings in the garden. And in the garden, God had created creation as he saw fit. God said, I want uh, creation to be organized. And so God said, I'm going to take the waters, and I'm going to divide them, and I'm going to make the sky, and I'm going to make the seas, and I'm going to part the land, and I'm going to tell the oceans and the rivers to run this direction and only come this far. I'm going to place animals that go on land on land. I'm going to place the fish in the sea. I'm going to place the birds in the air. And then God said, I'm going to create something special. And God said, I'm going to create human beings. And so he created a man, and he didn't just speak the human beings into existence. The Bible speaks about the creation of man as something being intimate. And it said that God formed humanity from the dirt of the ground. And God didn't just speak life, but God breathed life into human human beings. And God took time with humanity and said, I want to be in relationship with you. And God was in the garden with man, and he saw that man wasn't good by himself. And so God said, let me create a help me for him. And so he took from the rib of Adam, and he created Eve. And God said, I want to be in relationship with you, and I want to be there with you, and I want to exist in this relationship with you, and I want to be your God, and I want you to be my people. But then that serpent came. And he introduced doubt, and that doubt laid, led to sin. And ever since then, our relationship with God has been severed. And we no longer walk as Adam and Eve walk with God. And we no longer can talk the way that they talk with God. And that's where the problem of sin came. It just separated us from him. And it created a wall between us and God to where we couldn't have that. And all of a sudden, death existed. And we had no answer for that. We had no answer for that at all. And so as we crept into week number two, I wanted to talk about how we have this problem of sin. So now, what is the answer to this? And so we began to talk about faith, and we talked about good old Father Abraham, right? And Father Abraham was a man of faith, and we talked about how faith is the key. Faith is the key that can open the door to the relationship that we used to have with God. Faith isn't enough. Faith without works is what? Faith alone wasn't enough. It was a good start, but it wasn't enough. And so now we're asking ourselves, okay, Christianity is an answer to the problem of sin. Faith is involved with Christianity, this belief, this blind trust that we have in God, this blind trust that we have in God. And God looks at us being the people that we are. We are able to possess this faith, but guess what? We still make mistakes. And so God says, I have a plan. Thank God for the plan, amen? Amen. The Bible says in our reading that uh, Brother uh, Arnold read this morning, Ephesians chapter uh, 1, verse number 4, the Bible speaks about how God had a plan even before the foundations of the earth. And so this morning I want to talk to you about God's plan. God is a planner. Did y'all know that? 
God doesn't just jump into something and say, let's see what happens. God is a planner. And so as I'm looking at what God did, and as I'm looking at all the details involved in this, I said, I I, I want to take God's plan, and I want to hold it up as if it's a great big diamond. Y'all ever see movies that have these big diamonds? Because a lot of us have never seen big diamonds, right? Except for the ones that we put on our wife's fingers, right? Somebody's laughing. All right. (laughs) But when you hold up a diamond, it has all of these sides to it, right? And they shine brightly. And so what I want to do is I want to take God's plan, which is the gospel, and I want to look at each side of it. And I want to slowly examine it. So today, this lesson won't be a hallelujah, shout, and amen sermon, but I want to take the time to examine the gospel. It's going to be a survey. So I want you guys to use your pens, use your highlighters, mark up your Bibles, because we need to have an answer for the hope that we have as Christians. When people ask you why you believe, you need to be able to tell them, mark this down, write your cross-references. We want to look at every single part of this jewel that is the gospel. Now, as I'm looking at this on this week, I remember uh, working with the youth. Uh, I used to work in youth ministry. And working with youth and planning trips is not an easy task, right? Some people think that you just show up, you get on the church van, or you get on the bus, and you go to where you go, and then you do what you do. Nah, that's not it. Right. You have to plan a year in advance, months in advance for a trip. You got to take into consideration budget. Right. Then you got to look at your budget because I didn't have a big budget to where everybody go everywhere for free. So I have to look at the budget, and say I'm going to allot this much money to this thing, this to this trip, this to this mission, this to this youth conference. And then I'm going to have to multiply and divide and apologize to all the teachers. I said that I wouldn't use those things anymore. Right. And then on top of that, if we're going to a hotel and we got to stay in rooms, I got to figure out what attitude isn't going to match with another attitude so we don't have you fighting each other on a trip. Right. And then I got to figure out, OK, this person is coming who is an adult, but they don't have kids and they're just coming so they can go on vacation. So what can I find for them to do? Right. This is the planning that goes into these things. Right. And on top of that, I would have to go on the map quest. And find a route that would get us there in a quick fashion. Then I had to find a church for us to go to. If we stayed overnight somewhere, we'd go on a Sunday. Then have to find people who are trustworthy to drive the church van so they don't wreck it. Right? Planning involves details on top of details on top of details. And I want you to know that God loved you enough to plan out your salvation. God loved you enough to plan out your salvation. I want to show you that today. He loved you enough to plan out your salvation. And we all are involved with planning, right? We, 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 we like to plan things. We plan for weddings, right? We plan for our children's college funds, right? They make us go broke and then they go fail at school, right? Um, we plan our vacations after we save up enough PTO time. We plan, right? God planned for us. But when did God's planning begin? 
When did his planning begin? As I stated earlier, uh, Ephesians, Paul talks about in his epistle, he writes a letter to the church at Ephesus, and he says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Paul tells them, I want you to know that God truly loves us, God truly values us, and that he blesses us with everything that we need, and he does it through Jesus the Christ. Right now, understand that Christ is not Jesus last name. Christ is what Jesus does. He's the anointed one It's who he is. He's the anointed one. He's chosen for a task. And that task is to be our savior. Paul goes on and he writes in verse number four. It says, for he chose us in him. Before the foundation of the world. Before this world existed as it is, God thought about you and he says, I need to send my son for you and you and you and you and you. Isn't that special? Before a human being ever existed, God thought about you. He knew that you needed help. And so he said, I have a plan. Can you just imagine the aha moment that God has as he says, man, this is going to be good. I'm going to give them the freedom to choose. They're going to make the wrong choice, but I'm going to make a way for them to still be right with me. God did this before the foundation of the world. And he says that he didn't just do this so that we can be with him. He wanted us to also be holy and blameless. That means that I can stand before God knowing that I'm a sinner and still have a clear conscience because of his plan. I know that I mess up. I know that I make mistakes. I know that I don't always get it right, but I can still stand before God and say, I belong here. Isn't that special? This is, way, this is just one of the many ways of, that God has planned for us. And so we must ask ourselves, what is it? What is this thing that is the gospel? Let me tell you, the word gospel, it comes from an Anglo-Saxon word, right? Which means simply good news. Good news. In the Greek language, the word looks exactly like our English word for evangelism. Imagine that. And so God has good news for all of us. And so we ask ourselves, what is this good news that God has for us? Paul tells us again as he writes a letter to the church at Corinth. He tells them, he says, now I will remind you, brothers and sisters, because they had people at the church who were starting to go away from the gospel and the good news starting to believe things that were not true and they were doing things that they should not have done. But Paul says, I want to remind you, church, of the good news, the evangelion in the Greek, right? The gospel, the good news that I proclaimed to you when we first came together. I didn't just come telling you what I thought. I came like the paper boy throwing the good news of God to you. And this good news that I proclaim to you, you in turn, you received it, you internalized it, you believed it, and you allowed it to change you in ways that you could not do. And he says, you stand in this right now. Verse number two says, through which also you are being saved. The good news, the gospel, it saves you. And he says, if you hold firmly to this message that I proclaim to you, unless you have come to believe in vain, he says, you need to hold on to this as tight as you can, because if you let go of this good news, that's bad news for you. He says, I I handed on to you as first importance what I had received, right? Do y'all remember Paul when he was Saul, when he was a murderer? When he would go around killing the very same people who he would later preach to. 
And he's on the road to Damascus and he's blinded by a bright light. And Jesus himself speaks to Paul and he says, why are you kicking against the goals? Why are you going against the grain? Why are you doing the opposite of what you should be doing as one who belongs to God? Paul says, I received this good news from Jesus himself. And this is good news. He says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He says in verse number four that he was buried. And then he says he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now, if you get some messages right now, think about a loved one. Think about a loved one in your mind right now. If you think in your mind right now, if you got a message right now, text message that said that loved one that you're thinking about just died and was buried. Is that good news? It's not. It's not good news. But the wisdom of God is foolish to men. God in his wisdom did something that mankind and the adversary, the devil himself, would believe to be foolish. And he said, I'm going to do this thing that looks foolish. I'm going to defeat death with death. I'm going to overcome the power of sin by allowing someone to have powerful people come and take him out. This is what God did. That's the gospel message. That's the good news. The good news is that Jesus was not just killed. Jesus was not just buried, but Jesus got up. That's the good news. And so as we look at the gospel in its essence, it is the death. You write this down in your Bibles. It is the burial and it is the resurrection. The death, burial, and resurrection. If somebody asks you what the gospel is, you can tell them with assurance. Paul says, and he was uh, uh, compelled by God to speak this message, that the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. That's the good message. What does it mean for us? Now, when we look at the death, I want you to understand that God has always, always required justice for wrong. Right? It, justice doesn't always want it to come. We want justice to come tomorrow. Right? We want justice to come in the next minute. When something wrong happens to us, we want justice now. Right? We want it to happen now. Sister Rose, she got her paycheck late. You want that check. <laughs> she want that check now. It came, right? There we go. Praise God. Justice. Right? Justice doesn't always show up on time. Especially when we're the ones that do wrong. We don't want it to come immediately, right? But God has always required justice. And I want to tell you that God is a just God. God is a just God. And so in the garden, as, as, as human beings are created and they are in their original state and they sin, God then, he puts a curse on the serpent a curse on the woman, a curse on the man. And here's what he says to the serpent. God begins off by saying, I will put this thing, uh, hostility between you and the woman. He says this, I will put hostility between you and the woman. You can underline that hostility, right? He says, I'm going to put beef between y'all. He says this to to the serpent. I'm going to put beef between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, pay attention to this. This is important. I'm, I'm going to put hostility between your offspring and her offspring, right? This is what he's saying here. Look, 
within the Hebrew, within the Hebrew culture, when you hear about the genealogies, who are they always naming? The fathers, right? Yeah, it's always the fathers. He was the father of this. He was the son of this, the son of this, and the son of this. But God says, I'm going to put hostility between the seed of the woman and you. You got it, didn't you? He's saying, I'm not going to put hostility between you and the seed of man, but I'm putting hostility between you and the one that's going to come just for, from a woman. The one who isn't going to need the help of a man to be born. Watch how we know this. Watch how we know this. Look at the next verse here. Genesis chapter 3, uh, the same verse at the end. He says, this hostility, when it happens, it says, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now, there's two different things that are being harmed right here. One is the head, one is the heel. The toughest sport, I believe, that exists in our country is football. Right? Because guys get their skulls knocked around, they end up being crazy later on whenever they're old people. Right? If someone takes a hard shot to the head, they got to leave the game now because they're taking extra precautions. We just want to protect the brain. The brain is kind of important, right? If somebody gets hit in the heel, they can continue to play. And that's the importance of what's happening here. God is saying, when I put this hostility between you and the one who will come from the woman, you're going to strike his heel. He might need a little Band-Aid when you attack him. But he says that Jesus is coming for your head. Do y'all see this? If you got room in, your, in, your, in, your, in the side of your Bible, write messianic prophecy. This is the first messianic prophecy. This is the first prophecy speaking about the Messiah, who is Jesus Christ. You're going to hurt his heel by trying to kill him. Because he's going to crush your head. Do you remember the movie that Mel Gibson made, The Passion of the Christ, where Jesus is in the garden and he's praying and all of a sudden, for some weird reason, he just steps on the head of a snake? That's why. Mel Gibson actually did a really good job with that movie, as is, is, is off as he seems to be sometimes. All right, so as we look at this story a bit more, we think about the gospel and we're wondering, okay, we have this, this thing of death and we have this thing where God requires justice and people will tell you Christianity can't be real. Christianity can't be true. Well, take a look at this. Psalms chapter 20, 22, verse number one. Look at what happening in Psalm chapter 22, verse number one. I want to remind you that the Old Testament scriptures is written in a totally different language than the New Testament is written. It's written thousands of years apart by different men who spoke different languages of different professions in different places. But yet, the Old Testament and the New Testament match up consistently together. Psalm 22, verse number one, the psalmist, is, the psalmist is speaking words that will later be spoken. I want you to think if these words sound familiar, he says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Does that sound familiar? This is in Psalms. This is in Hebrew, right? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? Then we take a look over. You, you can write these down. Psalm chapter 69, verse number 21. They gave me poison for food and for my thirst. They gave me what? Vinegar to drink. Does that sound familiar? As we continue to turn through the book of Psalm, 
We look at Psalm chapter 31, verse number five. He says here, the psalmist says, into your hand I entrust my spirit. You have redeemed me, Lord, God of truth. Let's take a look at the New Testament. Matthew chapter 27, verse 46 through 48. The Bible says about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out. He's on the cross. Listen, he's on the cross. Jesus on the cross. And he says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, right? That is, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Thousands of years apart, words are spoken the same, right? Verse 47, when some of those standing there heard this, they said he's calling for Elijah. Verse 48 says immediately one of them ran. They got a sponge. They filled it with sour wine or vinegar, right? They put it on a stick and offered him a drink. Luke chapter 23, verse 46. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. The predictions and the ugliness of his death foretold years before he was on the earth, written by men set apart by time, distance, language, culture, and yet here it is, the ugliness of his death. We take a look at Psalm 89, verse number 14. It says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Faithful love and truth go before you. Speaking about God here, it talks about the nature of God, who God is. God is all about justice. God is going to make right what isn't right. Do you understand that? God didn't create this world for it to stay bad. God is all about justice. God is all about setting things right. I want you to know this, though. You're not going to find peace in this time. Okay? You can find a different type of peace in existing in the chaos that exists here in this time. But true peace, true equality, true justice will not exist until the return of the Christ. But this psalm, this psalm here explains the true nature of God. And it says that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his faithful love and truth go before God. Right. And it talks about who God is. Deuteronomy 32, verse number four, it talks about God. It says the rock, his work is perfect. All his ways are just a faithful God without bias. Do you understand how important that is that it does not matter that you are Jewish? For you to be a child of God. It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank to be a child of God. It doesn't matter where you came from in order for you to be a child of God. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past in order for you to be a child of God. God is fair. God is just. God doesn't show favoritism. He is righteous. He is true. Psalms 58, 11, then people will say, yes, there is a reward for the righteous. There is a God who judges the earth. God is going to judge the earth. God is going to set things straight, but it has to begin with the ugliness of Jesus Christ's death. The Bible also says, Deuteronomy 21, that if anyone is found guilty of an offense deserving the death penalty and is executed and you hang his body on a tree, You are not to leave his corpse on the tree overnight, but are to bury him that day. For anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must not defile the land of your Lord, of the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. This speaks to how ugly it was to die on a tree, on wood, right? 
Jesus dying on the cross meant that he was cursed. I'm turning, the, turning this diamond right now so you can see another side of it. Jesus chose the ugliest death that there could be, and he did it for all of us, right? This is what, this is what he, he willingly went into. Remember, as he's in the garden praying, Father, if it be your will that this cup pass from me, don't let me have to go through this, but if it's your will, I'll do it, right? In their culture, they believed that anyone who was hung on a tree was cursed. And if you left the body up on a holy day, it cursed the land. Y'all remember Jesus is, is put on trial right before Passover? And the reason why they're rushing him off the cross and they want to break his legs because they don't want him up there on the holy day because that would defile the whole land. This is the death. This is the ugliness. I'm showing you this, this other side of it, right? This is the ugliness that he chose, Right? This is part of God's plan. Why would God choose this, right? But the Bible says in the New Testament, Christ redeemed us all, right? He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Y'all see that? Because it's written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He became a curse so that we wouldn't have to. We deserve to be hung on a tree. Because that's, that's justice. We do wrong. We deserve to be punished for. And the penalty for sin is death. Amen. Galatians 1.4 also says, Who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. God did through Christ what we could not do for ourselves, and that is to overcome the problem of sin. We couldn't do anything about it. There was absolutely nothing that we could do because as soon as we come out the womb, we're consistently learning from fallible people. Mom and daddy is good. We're learning these sinful actions. We're learning from the world. Some of our first words are mine. I don't want to share. It's mine, right? And so when we commit sin, the penalty is death. There's nothing we can do about it. No one else has an answer for this. You can go to Buddhists. You can go to Muslims. No one has an answer for the problem of sin. Seven prayers a day is not going to get it. Prayers that feed the, 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 the ghost of your loved ones is not going to get it. The only answer to sin is the gospel, which comes through Jesus. Now, let's take a look at this burial right here. Now, uh, as we look at the burial, have you ever wondered and asked yourself, why in the world did Jesus have to be buried? Have you thought about that? Why Why did Jesus have to be buried in the first place? Why didn't he just die on the cross? They come and check his pulse or something, and then he comes from the dead and says, ah, I got you, right? It didn't happen that way, right? I'll tell you this, Jesus had to go into the tomb to prove that his death was real. You see, in their culture, people who are alive are not just going willy-nilly into tombs because it defiles them, right? It makes them unclean, and they can't worship God. That's their culture, right? We do things differently. We go up on funerals, and we kiss the cheek of our loved ones in the coffin. That wouldn't have been a thing for them. Jesus is put into a tomb. 
And what's even more interesting about this, in their culture, if someone was a criminal and they died the death of Jesus, that person could not go into the family's tomb. Because what they do is they would put their loved ones into the tombs that belong to their family, right? And as their body decomposed, they put it into a jar, they put it up on the shelf, it's ready for the next person. But if someone was a criminal, they can't put the body of a criminal into a tomb because it defiles everybody that's in the tomb. And so we have this man named Joseph of Arimathea, right, who comes and he has a brand new tomb. God set it up to where this rich man just has an extra tomb. Just, just, just at the right time, this rich guy has an extra tomb. He's like, I want the body of Jesus. Do y'all see how God's planning works? How he made Joseph make the right investments that he needed to make and be rich at the very exact moment and have a tomb that's brand new and not have any loved ones die before the death of Jesus just so Jesus could have a tomb to go into to prove that he was dead for all of us to believe in. That's, that's beautiful, right? This is the planning of God. God is a planner. So God does this. In Mark chapter 15, verse 42, it says that when evening came, and since it was the day of preparation, this is them preparing for Passover, the day before the Sabbath, right? Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God. This here says that he was not only, he was respected by the people who were trying to kill Jesus. Look at how God plans. The very people who would go about trying to kill God, God placed a mole on the inside, a double agent would be, who's looking for the coming of the kingdom of God, the true coming of kingdom of God. He's saying, I don't care what it is that Jesus is doing about him eating with sinners. I know that God is coming and I'm going to keep my eyes open to the Messiah and I believe that it's Jesus. And so he went boldly to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus and then Pilate wondered if he were already dead, Pilate's not even there where he's already allowed the crime to happen. He's not, he's not mad enough to go where it is. He's sitting up. He's, I wonder if Jesus is dead. And so he sends the centurions to go break their legs, right? But he finds that Jesus had been dead for some time. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the body to Joseph. Then Joseph, he bought linen cloth. Underline that in your Bibles. He bought this linen cloth, right? And look at what he does. He takes the body, he wraps it in the linen cloth, he laid it in a tomb that had been hewn out of a rock. He then rolled the stone against the door of the tomb. And I want to let you know, one person can roll the stone, but it takes multiple people to roll it back. Because downwards, right? Now, I've been to different locations. I've been to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre where they say it could be the tomb of Jesus Christ. But these things... They're small in nature. One person couldn't have moved a stone, right? Verse 47, Mary Magdalene, the mother of Jesus, she saw where the body was laid. The body was actually laid. It was wrapped. And then we see the message of the cross, right? Paul writes again to the church of Corinth, the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the what? the power of God. It's foolishness to people who don't believe in Jesus that the one who would be the victor is the one who was defeated. It's foolishness to believe that the one who gives life died. But to us who believe, it's the power of God. 
It's the power of God. So in order for us to believe, in order for it to be verified, Jesus had to be buried. Now we look at the resurrection because there is purpose and power in resurrection. So as we look at John chapter 20, verse number 7, John 20, verse number 7, it says that when they went to the tomb, it says that the wrapping, remember that wrapping that Joseph of Arimathea did? It says the wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloth, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. Can you imagine Jesus in the tomb? Waking up from the dead saying, I'm going to take this linen cloth off. I'm going to take what was on my head. I'm going to fold it up so that they know that somebody didn't just come and take my body. It wasn't somebody who just came and kidnapped me while I was asleep. This was a dead body. I got up and I had enough manners to take what was on me and fold it up and put it in the corner. Look at, look at the jewel that is the gospel. This isn't by accident. God placed so many things here so that we can see that this was something that was real. And that it was something that was planned out for our salvation. Jesus takes off the things that's in the tomb. He places it on the side, right? And then verse, uh, you look at Luke chapter 24, verses 25 through 27. As Jesus comes back and he's speaking, uh, he's speaking to the people who, there's two men who are, the road to Emmaus and it's after all of these things have happened right Jesus has rose from the dead there's two random men that we've never heard of in the Bible but they're walking on the road and Jesus disguises himself right and he starts asking them questions they say how do you know about what just happened they crucified a man who said he was the son of God if you was there you would know about this everybody saw this and so Jesus starts talking to them, right? And he says, that, he says to them, how foolish you are. They can't recognize that as Jesus. And he says, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He says, you have the word with you. You have the Old Testament scriptures and you don't believe because you missed it. Jesus continues speaking. He says, wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Wasn't it necessary for him to be beat down low so that he could rise up higher than anyone has ever seen? Don't you remember the word? And in verse 27, he says, then beginning with Moses, Jesus began teaching Moses and, the, and all the prophets. He interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all scriptures. Jesus said, I'm going back. I'm going to use Moses to teach about me. And y'all remember Moses, he had attitude at times. And the prophets, they did some messed up things in their times. But God used, or Jesus rather, used these stories about fallible men to teach about the perfection that is himself. Tell me you can't be used. And so I'm imagining Jesus being on the road with these two men from Emmaus. And I remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, verse number 38. He's, he's, he's among the scribes and the Pharisees, those who are supposed to know the law. He's, and then they tell him, they say, Jesus, we know about the Bible. We, we are experts in this thing. Tell us or give us a sign so that we can know for sure that you are you. Jesus, he answers them and he says, an evil and adulterous generation demands a sign. He says, y'all are evil. Y'all want a sign? Are y'all not seeing what I've been doing? They said that the one who would come would make the lame walk and the dumb speak and the blind see. I've been doing that and y'all still want a sign? This is what Jesus is saying, right? But he says, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet of Jonah. Y'all remember Jonah? Y'all remember Jonah as he's thrown over the, the boat? A great 
fish comes and swallows him up. And Jesus says this, for as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the son of man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. He said, just like Jonah was in there, I'm going to be in the earth three days and three nights. He's calling this shot before they happen. And these still are the same people who put him up on the cross. They didn't believe that he would be dead and in the earth three days and three nights, but they killed him just to test the theory. Come on. Mark chapter 6, verse number 31. The Bible says, then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and rise after three days. He's been teaching his resurrection for a long time. He's been saying it. But what happens whenever they die? As Jeremy was talking about, they scatter. They leave him. They abandon him. Just like we scatter. We leave him. We abandon him. But he still came back for them. Luke chapter 9, 22, he says this. It is necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the scribes, be killed and be raised on the third day. Now, I want you to see this. Because a lot of times we believe that resurrection and being a Christian is all about us going to heaven and this escapism. But I want to tell you, as we talked about from the beginning, God created humanity to be in relationship with him a certain way. So this thing of salvation and this good news called the gospel is all about a recreation of that. Yes, heaven comes with it. But this thing of salvation is all about the recreation of humanity and making things right again. I'll show you. I'll give you proof. Watch what Paul says. Watch what Paul says here. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 40, he begins with this. He says, there are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. Y'all see this? Because uh, let, me, let me assure you that in their culture, everybody believed that at some point in time, everyone would rise again, right? Because the reason why I know this is because as Jesus is speaking to the, the sister of Lazarus, right? And he says, your brother's going to live again. She said, yeah, I know that, Jesus. Everybody's going to live again. But Jesus saying, no, he's going to live today. They believed that you would come back. But, Jesus, but Paul here is saying to the church at Corinth that there is a heavenly body and there is a earthly body. When Jesus comes back from the dead and he's in there and Thomas is doubting that he is truly alive, he says, Thomas, stick your hand in my side. Look at these holes in my hand. The Bible says that Jesus in his resurrected form ate food. And he came in the house without using the door. That ain't no earthly body. Right? There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly body is different from that of earthly ones. There is a splendor of the sun, another of the moon, another of the stars. In fact, one star differs from another star in splendor. So it was the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. They did bad things. They had a trial at night. Nobody goes to court at night. Jesus did. Sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness. On the cross, breathing his last breath, he rose up not needing oxygen anymore. 
raised in power, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Paul says there's heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. And then he goes and he says, it's, it's written. The first man, Adam, became a living be- being. The last Adam became a living, giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. Then the spiritual, the first man was from earth, a man of dust. Right? The second man is from heaven. Like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. We bear that image of Adam. We're just like Adam. We're fallible. We sin. We turn back into that which he was created from. You go and exhume a body, it doesn't stay looking the same. It does not. But if we obey the gospel, we take on the form of the new Adam and we also will receive one day these heavenly bodies which don't decay, which don't need oxygen, which are going to exist forever in eternity, right? Verse number 50, the Bible says, what I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will be changed. Some of you are going to live to see the day of God's coming back. Just know that if you are alive, just like those who are dead, you're going to come back. You're going to be changed. And the Bible says it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. That quickly you will be changed into your eternal form. Different piece, right? Verse number 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of the eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your, is your sting? You see, God said the punishment for this sin thing is death. But he said, I'm sending Jesus down here so you don't have to worry about death no more. Oh, I know that's not good English anymore. You don't have to worry about death when you're a Christian. This body is going to fail, Yes. You're going to be in somebody's hospital bed one day and breathe your last. You're going to be in your home, breathe your last one day. Yes, but that's not the end. That's not the end of your story. Your story continues on with God because of this gospel, because the first or the, because the second Adam came back. You, too, will come back because you are made after him, the form of him. When you obey the gospel, verse number 56 says the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Don't you get tired of being righteous? Don't you get tired of doing the right thing? Don't you get tired of obeying God? Don't get tired of spreading this good news that is about Jesus. Because there's a paycheck at the end of your work. And it's not just heaven, but it's a new body. 
that won't feel pain, a new body that doesn't have to worry about bills, a new body that doesn't have to worry about shortness of breath, a new body that doesn't have to worry about hair falling out and it turning white, a new body that will live forever with Jesus, our Savior, with God the Father, with the Holy Spirit, inquiring about the secret things that we, we, we would like to know. God's victory through the gospel is eternal. It has and always will be. Don't you think for a second that God has lost a step? His plan is over. He's already won. We just got to keep on trekking through this land until we get to the promised land. Amen. The question that we answer next week is, how do you obey this gospel? What do you do with the gospel? I won't keep you entirely waiting. I want to tell you if, you, if you do not know, I want to let you know the way to establish relationship again with God and overcome the problem of sin. Guess what the key is? Faith. Do you believe that God sent his son to this earth to die as a human being, to feel the same pain physically that we feel, to feel emotional pain that we feel. His friends abandoned him. He had to look at his mother, seeing her pain as she saw him suffering. Mm -mm -mm. He felt emotional pain. He felt physical pain. He felt abandonment. He did it for each and every one of us. He felt the pain of the cross as the nails are being supported by his bones and his wrists. Squeeze your wrists and see how that feels. Just imagine your body weight. Yeah. That's what he felt, and he died eventually of a fixation. That's what Jesus did for us. But he didn't just die. He rose from the dead. And I hope that I showed you every every piece of that jewel that is the gospel. I hope that you can see it and and treasure it as God intended. You, You show everybody what this jewel is. You tell everybody about this jewel that is the gospel because they deserve to know. Do you believe it? Are you ready to change your mind? Because, because this thing about us living with God for eternity, it involves us changing the thing that won't go away, right? Think about the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Their consciousness was still alive, even though their bodies were not. You've got to change this first, right? Repentance is changing and turning towards God. It doesn't mean perfection. It's a turning towards God. You must repent of your sins. You must change. You must confess and pledge your allegiance that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You must confess that. You, you must. And you must be baptized for the remission of your sins. I want you to know, this is the last thing I'm going to ask you to write down today. Propitiation. Jesus became a propitiation for all of us. That means he repaired the wrong that it was done. You see, most people see God and they think that God is just this, this angry God monster and he, he needs for somebody to die. And over. No, that's not what it is. God requires justice. Jesus became the one who will be beat and experience death so that we didn't have to. Do you know that for a moment he was separated from God? When he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time, He's separated for God for a moment. 
That's what death is. Death isn't just having the, the not having the ability to breathe. It's lacking relationship with God. That's true death. Baptism, I'll give you a, tr- a preview, is the reenactment of the gospel. It is us saying, I died to self. I'm no longer living for me. I no longer want to live and do things how I want to do things. It's us going into the water. Baptism, a Greek word baptizo, literally means to be buried. It's us going into the water. In the water, we meet the blood of Jesus. In their culture, they had all kinds of cleansing rituals, and I want you to know that it always was inclusive of water. Right? It wasn't some chant. It wasn't some incantation. Water. The blood of Jesus cleanses us all, makes us a new creation in Christ Jesus. We rise to become new creatures and walk towards eternity with God. That's good news. If you want to be a Christian, if you need prayers today, I want you to do so as we sing the song of invitation. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Come on and say thank you. If you stand in need thank of prayer today, Lord, just raise your hand and one of these two brothers say will come thank to you. you. If you want to be baptized on today, Lord, come forth. And we will baptize you today just want you for the remission of your sins. Thank you, Lord. We are the family of God. Mm-hmm. Striving to be yeah, we are. people of more. Ready to receive our King. Let's Oh, oh, Christ our Lord. We are people of more. Oh, oh, we are the Christ alone.
your mind.